Welcome in to the High Yellow Podcast, man. I'm your host, David West, and I'm privileged to have another another uh, special guest on the platform, man. Uh, Chase Moore. Oh, man, how, how you doing, bro? Chilling, chilling. Thanks again for seeing value in what I have to say to help add value to your wonderful platform. Really 100%, good. man. I, I, like I said, we've uh, we met one time, man. We actually met at uh, Devin's event um, and uh, seemed like a great guy, man. He introduced me to you, man. And uh, like I said, you see value in this podcast, man. I saw value in you as a person, bro. I, I've read up on your story, man. I, I like to say I do a good amount of research on the people I bring on there, man. So uh, couldn't be more in, uh, inspired by your story, bro. And uh, I'm, again, I'm glad to. It's privilege is mine, bro, to have you on. So it's good to have you, bro. So we guess we jump right into it, man. Um, if you don't know Chase Moore, uh, went to uh, studied his undergrad at, undergrad at UT Austin, right? Also studies his master's, currently a master's student in educational leadership and policy. Um, also former student athlete at the University of Texas at Austin as well. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, bro, uh, like I said, I read up on your story, man. And for me, if if we could, I would like to jump right into your your football career, not specifically at UT, but more so your UT. Uh, I'm sorry, your uh, your football career uh, in in Los Angeles, where you uh, where you came up mm-hmm. from, man. So if you wouldn't mind, yeah, kind of starting from there, I feel like that's a good point of uh, your ethos, man, and how you came up, bro. If you wouldn't mind, I feel that. How early do you want me to start with the football career, man? So whenever when I first started, ooh. when you when you first started, when you first started. All right. Well, I can't say this without saying kind of the background the origin like what led to me playing football in the pl- first place sure. i grew up um in a neighborhood that's on the borderline of compton and carson and just like many i've seen things that aren't normal i've experienced things that i believe have commonalities between other inner city communities <clears throat> and other areas within the nation um, things like gang violence are persistent, things like uh, being in a community with drugs surrounding it, being in a community with incarcerated parents, um, being in an environment with inequitable education systems, um, and so on and so forth. And I don't say this to, to emphasize or to try to give credibility to my blackness or anything like that, but what I do simply try to do is expose these stark realities that are going on. So just like many, as a result of not having a lot of access to opportunities and resources, we realized that football would be a better solidified way to gain access to other avenues in life. So I started playing football at a really young, relatively young age, at around uh, fourth grade, which I believe is around nine years old. And it's pretty, pretty unique and pretty interesting because I, I wasn't playing football at my local community. I was playing football in South Central LA. And just like a lot of the preconceived notions that people have of South Central LA, it's really like that. But we ended up being at a small park in the middle of South Central Los Angeles. And I played for the Southern California Falcons. And that was unique because my mom, I grew up in a single parent home and my mom didn't have all the financial resources. So she always found other avenues to make us have a good opportunity. So the local football team near my neighborhood would have costed anywhere from 400 to 600 bucks off of a single parent salary. My mom just can't afford it, raising multiple children. So Snoop Dogg, the rapper, he had this crazy idea 
where he's going to allocate his resources as being a famous rap, rapper, philanthropist, and actor. And he's going to allocate his resources in small inner city communities throughout LA and throughout Long Beach. So I found myself playing in the Snoop Youth Football League, which was subsidized. It was a subsidized fee. So instead of paying 600 bucks like I would have paid in the local community back home, I ended up paying around $100 for the first kid, which is my big brother, and then 50 mm. bucks for the younger kid. And he just continued to be able to provide a platform and to provide some sustainable long-term activities for the youth. And I found myself mostly passionate about football. One, because it was sustainable and it was a way for me to constantly try to get out all my youthful energy. But two, because it was an opportunity to be surrounded around male mentors and male role models. And as an adolescent, like I said, I grew up without a father. And I believe that it was very important to surround myself with that male energy. And as a result of playing football and just going hard as I possibly could, because I was never the biggest, but I was the fastest. <laughs> I would say I was the fastest. For sure. Worked hard, ran fast and everything like that. Yeah. But I was pretty good. You know, I remember one time I was on the all-star team for the Snoop Youth Football League, and we ended up playing against Snoop Dogg, the rapper. And I, I met him. Actually, I've actually met him a few times. One oh, really? Time, I was going to ask you about that. You... Yeah, I've met Snoop a couple times. Um, and That's crazy. He's still, he's still a family friend of ours, I'll say. That's beautiful, man. He has an even better relationship with my big brother. But anyways, played against Snoop, beat him and his son, which is a cool experience. We beat him another year in the Snoop Youth Football League championship game. So I had, I saw, I saw the promise of football and what it could do to me. So then I went on um, continuing to play in middle school, ended up playing again in high school. And it kind of, you know, brought me here. Yeah. Brought me here. Yeah, for sure. Not to cut you off, man, but uh, that's a unique experience, man. I, just seeing you talk about it, man, not only you playing in a celebrity football league, but um, you sort of reaped the benefits of all that came with it, man. Like you said, that mentorship, that uh, – that camaraderie, man. And I think that's a beautiful thing because uh, I could definitely look at my path as well. And sports for me, you know, raising a, a single mother, uh, I feel like sports for me is, as well, uh, it definitely kept, it helped me condition and find my way through, uh, transitioning through manhood and all those different things, man. So it's beautiful to hear you say that. Yes, sir. Uh, in that football league, man, what are... Now, now I'm very intrigued with this uh, Snoop thing, man, because that's a dope experience, bro. Uh, I guess what kind of recollections do you have from that, uh, from that experience specifically, man, playing man, those games? Let me say this real yeah. quick. It's crazy. I was watching this Tupac, Tupac uh, Shakur interview the other day, and this is back in, like, let's say 1990s, maybe 1992, right. something like that. And he's, Tupac is walking along Venice Beach, and then the interviewer is asking him, like, what do you want to do with all your money? And then Tupac is like, man, you know, one day, man, I want to start up like a football league or something like that for some inner city youth yeah. where I just donate some of my money there. And uh, we're able to have the community come out, the church come out, uh, the local restaurants come out. And I want to have something like a like a big neighborhood block party or neighborhood barbecue. And we just bring all the kids from all the other inner city areas together that are on different teams and uh, celebrate with them. After seeing this, I'm like, wow. I think I know where Snoop Dogg might have got this idea from. One of my fondest memories of playing in the Snoop League was something called Snoop Youth Football uh, Family. No, what was it called? 
it was Snoop League Family Day. It was called something okay. like that. I don't remember the exact name, but I remember the memory. We went out to some uh, location, like right outside of LA at a really big park. And it offered opportunities for every single team to kind of connect and meet each other. Because it's one thing to play against a team, but it's another to break bread, you know, come together with, you got the grandmas, you got the aunties, the uncles, yeah. uh, Snoop's friends, you know, the, all the rappers, and you know, all those types of individuals that are coming out. And it was really cool because not too many young kids from an inner city area have access to that type of resources. A hundred percent. Yeah, but it was so powerful. And man, I don't know. There's too many people to count that are in the league right now as a result of Snoop Dogg believing in them. If he didn't provide access and provided those opportunities, who's to say it would have happened? But that would definitely be a fond memory of mine. Word. No, that's mad dope, man. So you – so when did you st- – I'm sorry, what age were you playing in the league, you said, around – Yeah, I was playing in the league from about nine years old all the way to to about – This is before – okay, this is before high school. Because I know oh, you also yeah. played high, in uh, high school. Yeah, uh, I played in high school. What was that like, man? Yeah, um – crazy man I came into high school I came into high school five foot 90 pounds flat soaking wet Mm. and I told myself that I'm gonna play one day for the University of Texas at Austin I'm gonna play football there yeah yeah we're gonna get that yeah you know yeah all right we'll get to that then but I told myself I'll do that essentially (laughs) yeah 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 for sure, um, man. And I also said I wanted to go to the league and everything like that. But, you know, presumably I didn't look like I was big enough or good enough or whatever. But I just kept on lifting weights, you know, working hard, wow. getting it in the classroom and on the field. And by my junior year, I led the state of California. Uh, I was the third. I had like the third best uh, tackle ratio in the state of California. So, like, I was wow. doing my thing. I played strong safety. I put on a couple pounds. It still wasn't a lot. I was five, six, 120 pounds by my junior year. Yeah. But I had like four interceptions. Don't worry about it, man. I was the same thing around there. <laughs> yeah, man. I had like four interceptions, 116 tackles. Wow. Uh, man, in my high school team, we were all right, but we can't compete with all the other schools with resources because I still went to mm. an inner city, you know, um, school. But it worked out excellent. And it gave me an opportunity to play college football as well or and then you eventually uh make the transition to ut man i know we're skipping some steps but eventually make the transition to ut i know you transferred in sort of like i did as well yeah. and uh you came in there with the purpose of i'm gonna play football for ut austin man and you yeah. kind of i kind of stopped you from getting into it but I, that, that was sort of a, a thought process of yours a dream of yours i guess uh yeah. really early on is that a is that right yeah that's 100 percent true man uh I feel like when you don't have a lot of resources and when you have a lot of people in society telling you no, it just makes you want to tell yourself yes even more. So although we were without resources growing up, although I was without a father and so many other things I can go in that I want to improve one day, I just believed that there can be better for myself. Mm -hmm. There is something more that God has planned for me. So at the age of eight years old, in the second grade, I'm watching a football game with my big brother, Kylan Moore, who magically ended up playing football at TCU. That's a different Hmm. story. 
But I'm watching a football game with the dude, and it's USC. And at the time, I loved USC. LA didn't have an NFL team, so in my in my you know eight year old mind, USC is as good as it gets. It's the best team in the world. Yeah. But as they're playing in this game, there's an even uh, even better team that's playing, and they're beating USC. Hmm. They happen to have orange cows in their helmets, and they have, <laughs> and they have white pants. And I'm, you know, what I'm getting at. For sure, but for sure. It was so crazy to me because I'm like, if they just beat the best team in the world, then what does that make them? So I'm like, f it, man. I'm gonna play football there one day. I'm gonna do that. So my journey coming to UT sounds crazy, but in reality, it's always been a dream of mine. My freshman year of college, I played football at a school in Massachusetts called College of the Holy Cross. I had a full ride out there, and it's a top a- academic school, so it's up there with the Notre Dames and the Georgetowns of the world, but at the end of the day, I just wanted to pursue my dream, and although it was a blessing to go there, and I'll never speak down on the school, I just didn't want to be one of those that tries to give advice to their granddaughter or something like that in the future, telling them to live their dreams, but I didn't live mine. So I decided to transfer and, you know, I had to walk on. Like, I didn't come here with a scholarship or nothing like that. I wasn't one of those fancy five-star recruits or nothing. Like, I really had to work. And this isn't to say that those other five stars don't have to work for it, but my journey just it wasn't easy, to say the least. I didn't know the coaches at the time. I'd never been to Austin, Texas in my life. I didn't – before I got to UT, I didn't even know that Austin was a city. Like, I really didn't know nothing about it. I just knew no, that either. I want to be in that burnt orange helmet one day. Yeah. Simple. Man, that's yeah, mad interesting, man. You, uh, I feel like we're a bit from the same mold, man. I, going into college, man, obviously not on us, not athletics or anything like that, but didn't know where I wanted to go, whereas you yeah. did. And, uh, I feel like I kind of just found Austin out of nowhere. It was kind of <laughs> just, it was just a random, like you said, man, I, I saw the burnt orange, man, and it kind of, it, it gravitated to me in a sense, right? Like I said, I didn't know where I wanted exactly to be, but obviously making that transition from Prairie View, it's kind of like, okay, I could, this school has more resources. I can do some things here, right? So that's yeah. kind of what led me personally to pursue it, man. So you get there, you you uh, you uh walk on, right? And uh, I want to I ask you about this, if this is true or not, man. You So after the trial, you said the coach said, no, after the coach called you, uh, to tell you, you you got accepted to the team, in which you responded, you don't get it. Yeah, it's a true man. story, man. Hey, man. Oh, 100%. Facts, Okay. Man. We was out there in like 100 – it felt like 100 degrees to me because when the turf – when you're on the turf, it makes it hotter because, you know, it's the sun reflecting off of the turf. Yeah. But anyways, it's super hot. I'm exhausted. I didn't take any water at the tryout because I didn't want them to think I was weak or anything like that. <laughs> I could have got a heat stroke, but, you know, I just wanted to get that team. Yeah. And the, the people that were running the tryout said that we're only accepting about, you know, five people, I think it was. And it was a bunch of people out there. Yeah, like nice 42 or something. You. Yeah, it was a nice amount of people out there. But in my mentality, I was like, I don't know who's coming in second. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> So afterwards, they said they're going to call us back in a couple couple weeks to let us know, you know, what the process is and who made it or whatever. It didn't take 30 minutes. As I'm exhausted walking back to my dorm room, the coach calls me up like, hey, is this Chase Moore? 
<laughs> I'm a little shocked at first because I'm like, you just said you're gonna call me in a couple weeks. <laughs> it's gonna take some time. Like, you know what I'm saying? You off yeah. the schedule a little bit. <laughs> but I'm like, uh, yes, sir, it is. And he was like, then he's like, um, I just want to let you know that you made the football team at the University of Texas. Um, and then right then and there, it's so nostalgic to me thinking about it. But I was like, yeah, man, you don't get it. Because he really didn't understand what I've been through in my life to fulfill this dream. But after that, uh, you know, I hung up the phone um, after he exchanged with me and told me, yeah. like, the next, you know, steps of the process. And, yeah. You know, that's the story she wrote. No, that's a beautiful story, man. It definitely touched me once I read about it, man, because, uh, like you said, he didn't know you. And uh, I feel like I couldn't even imagine coming from uh, uh, circumstances such as the ones you've been in and and, and being in a, a Los Angeles area, man, that's low resources. And, yeah. you know, obviously I'm not from West Coast, man, so I can't speak to this as well as you can, man. But just coming up and getting that call, knowing you wanted to be at that school and getting that call, yeah, like, man, man uh, this is this is exactly what you wanted. So I couldn't even imagine that, man. And let me ask you this, bro, because this is – I'm very curious to know about this, man. What What is a Division One laundry specialist, bro? What, what is that, Oh, man? my God, People listening, man. I need to know what that is, Dude, man. that's a – man. What is that, bro? <laughs> hey, man, you taking <laughs> me, me back. I want to cry right now, man. Hey, man, I'm just doing my job. <laughs> doing some <Man>. research. <laughs> Nala, like, you really did just. I'm impressed. I'm sorry. I'm hey, impressed. Man, journalism school got me right, I guess. No, like you don't understand. <laughs> I haven't heard that question in years, man. And it's hey, like, what is that, man? dang, dude. All right, like I said, I was at Holy Cross. That's the school in Massachusetts, and I had a, I'd say, I had a promising career as a football player there. But then when I decided I wanted to transfer, I had to uh, collect some coins. I had to collect some cash, if you will. So I had to get a job where I go from. Hey, Chase, man, you know, we see big things from you. You're going to be the next man up. Or girls writing their number, number 30 at the time, on their cheeks at games for me. Yeah. So seeing me in the dining hall, like, give me slaps and high fives to not looking at me the same anymore because I'm no longer wearing a football jersey. But what I am doing is pushing the laundry basket. I had to get a job. And at the time, Holy Cross had 27 sports. And my job was to do the laundry for all these different sports. So I'm doing the very laundry from the same teammates I used to have, the same coaches I used to have. Dirty laundry, clean laundry. And it's pretty demeaning when you're walking down that hall and your old coach who recruited you to the school can't even look you in the eyes no more. It kind of hurts a lot. And I got a little dark and a little depressed, but eventually I just, and I used to wear a hood like to hide and, you know, hide myself but then I took the hood off one day and I was like yeah it is what it is man if I'm gonna do this if God chose me to do laundry I can't just you know walk around campus sad and depressed like yeah you know I don't play football now I do laundry so I changed my mentality and I said I'm gonna be a division one laundry specialist I'm gonna be the best one to ever do it and after changing my mentality my spirits got up I started getting in contact with other coaches around the country and, you know, I just began to be on that upswing. And it was really crazy because my old teammates, they used to see me sad and depressed from pushing that laundry basket, saw me freestyle rapping and, you know, listening to music as I'm doing yeah. it. So, For sure. Yeah, Not man. to cut you off, man. How, how did you make that? When did that that, mint, that uh, mental check-in kind of uh, register, man? Because that's a, like you said, you're in a dark spot. And I, yeah. 
feel like we all go around that age, man. You just entering college, man, trying to find yourself essentially. And you, we all enter these dark holes, these dark uh, spots, man. Depress, depression, maybe. Uh, when did that kind of register for you? Like, man, I could turn this into something else, man. Maybe this is just God's plan. Like, how did that? When did that checking kind of transpire for you? If you remember, yeah, I'm a probably it was, it was relatively early for the right reasons. I'm gonna say maybe maybe a couple weeks into the job, I realized I'm gonna have to be there for another year almost, so I better get used to it. So yeah, pretty early on, I'll say. So the end of the end of my freshman year, going into my sophomore year, I had that realization. You also said something else, man. You you said that. So I guess we're full. Let me ask you this, man. You you finished the sort of uh, stand on the timeline, sort of. You 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 finish. Uh, you so you transferred into UT sophomore junior, which uh, my second semester sophomore year. Second semester. So you finished. What were you studying as an undergrad? Uh, as an undergrad, I studied. I changed my major a lot. Let me think. Uh, <laughs> I went from. No, good, I went from philosophy at a certain. No, no, no. I went from engineering at a certain point to yeah. philosophy, to sociology. And then when I got to UT, I went to urban studies. And then I switched into sociology. Oh, shit, man. Yeah, got <laughs> a juggling, man. For sure. No, nah, man, there's no issue with that, man. Again, trying to find yourself in, uh, in college, bro. I got, you know, it's crazy out there, man. But uh, so you're going through UT, man. You, did you play uh, ball at all every year you was at UT, right? Uh yeah, well, okay. excluding graduate school. Got you. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm finna get into. I'm finna transition into yeah. that because you said, man. Uh, another thing I, I found that you said and it was dope as fuck to me, bro. It was uh, graduate school became your NFL, man. Oh yeah. So could you talk about that, man? How? Because uh, obviously you 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 uh, you mentioned it, right? Having these high goals for yeah. yourself, man, yeah. and that's where. It, and this is why I wanted to start with football of all things because I feel like it's really. Uh, again, an integral part to your ethos, man, and who you yeah. are, because this was like your first yeah. love and passion, man. So yeah, man, you you obviously you don't make it to the NFL, but you you find graduate school to kind of to fill that void, man. If you wouldn't mind going into that and discussing yeah. that, oh, that's a great question because for me, playing football at UT, it meant a lot. It wasn't necessarily for me just to get to the league, even though that was a passion of mine when I was younger. But I realized it's an opportunity for me to. In influence youth, like just to be real with you, to chase dreams, to chase big dreams that can shape and transform their reality in some way. And in order to do that, it just happened to be that football, football was it. If I go to inner city school and tell them how I grew up, but tell them where I'm at now, it can give them insight and a pathway to know that it is possible to achieve that dream. So I came into the locker room early on and I saw everyone else, you know, with the little blue checks on Instagram, uh, five-star recruits or what have you. And I just saw it. I'm like, y'all not doing that right. Mm. Like, it's just, I feel like you aren't supposed to just get clout from social media or just getting clout if you're walking down 6th Street. Like, there has to be something more. So then that's when I had the idea of going to these inner city schools and, you know, utilizing my platform to speak truth into these dying situations and stuff like that. And then from then on, I realized that my identity is so much stronger than just football. So I would walk around my undergrad years not wearing any football gear, um, just a regular black student. 
And I feel like that's really powerful because they literally shower you with gear and it's almost like a trap. Like they, they want you to, you know, walk to the library or walk to Chick-fil-A in the SAC or something like that. And, you know, be seen to represent the university, which is powerful to do. But like I said, people aren't always doing it right where they're getting the wrong attention. And I want to get the right attention for what I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, I kind of want to break that down, man. Not to cut you off, but I kind of yeah. want to break that down because I feel like that's a scary thing, man, that the only way uh, someone like you in your position can reach someone in their youth, not the only way, of course, but kind of having to be that guy, being a football player, being a star athlete, being a musician, what, like whatever that may be for yeah. your uh, art, man, that's, that's kind of the only way the youth will recognize you as someone who's that's the only way you'll uh, become someone they want to hear from, man. It must be, a, that's, uh, I don't know, man. That's a, that's a scary thing for me, right? Because I, yeah. the only way you get respected by the youth, man, is uh, you have to be someone they, uh, you have to be in a position that they could see themselves being as opposed to just being a doctor or anything like yeah. that. But they want to see you as, again, someone with a blue check, someone like a mm-hmm. professional athlete, man. That's a, that's a scary thing, man. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't when mean to I cut you off. Op- yeah. yeah. So when I would do the opposite of that, going to these schools, it kind of changed their perspective. Um, yeah. Where I remember one time I went to a school, and I was like, "Yeah, my name is Chase Moore. I play football at the University of Texas, but I'm about to get my master's in educational policy." Mm. And they only cared about the football piece. And I was like, "All right, cool, cool, yeah. cool, cool." But what happens uh, if you don't go to the league? What do you want to do? And then I had these kids like, you know what? I'll probably, I'll probably do engineering. You know, I'll probably be a lawyer as well as a football player. And like, you can yeah. kind of see like their brain spinning a little <laughs> bit, realizing it's yeah. not just ball. Word, yeah, man. So at this point, man, you start to you get into your, your graduate studies, and you that, that's kind of when again you start to make that transition into. I want to influence the youth. Is that a fair yeah. assessment? That's when you kind of wanted to. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I'm sorry, real quick. Let me yeah, back yeah, up course. real quick. I yeah, just yeah, thought about it. I want to. I want to yeah. really hone in on the graduate school of my hundred percent, man. Yeah. I see. I've seen this trend through years and years and years of just you know reviewing. So many individuals have these aspirations to have professional fo- football or basketball careers that their identity is foreclosed identity foreclosure where they put all of their effort towards one identity and they reject all these other ones. I didn't want to be another person like that because I've realized that after their four or maybe five years is up, they don't have any tangible skills they can take with them in life. You can only get into so many different doors from running full speed into another man. Typically that's through sports or through MMA. And I knew I didn't want to do that anymore. I want to be able to use my mind to impact a lot of people over my physical cranium, if that makes any sense. So I realized um, the NFL, what's the average career for that? Three, four years. And how long is it in graduate school? Three, four years as well. So why can't I transfer my football abilities and my football mentality of hard work and dedication and just apply it to these books after undergrad? So yeah. Grad school became my NFL, and I believe it's really powerful and it's kind of to set a standard for the youth and to let them know that you're not less, any less than because you didn't go to the league. In fact, sure. you can perhaps be even more than because there's more sustainability in education, I believe. For sure. Not the, I'm playing devil's advocate, man, because I feel like it's important. It, had yeah. you 
pursued a career, had you got drafted and pursued a career in the NFL, man, do you think your mindset would have shifted in a sense? And I ask that because uh, say say you're continuing that trial and you continue going up and you have a chance again to get drafted. Do you think – I forgot the right way to put this, man. How do, how can I ask this? I know what you're asking. Yeah, because I feel like you, your mindset shifted once you figured out you couldn't go pro. Is that a? Or, nah, man. I've, no. Like, school, okay, well, would you? Yeah, would you agree that most people kind of are in that uh, that mindset, right? That they're going pro, they're going pro, they're going pro, and until they get that 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 uh, that signal from a external source that. You're not gonna make it, man. Sorry, this is kind of in the end of the road for you, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of when they transition to what's next. But I feel like when you're in that mode that you you all all possibilities are limitless, mm-hmm. you're kind of you kind of are uh, stuck on that one endeavor, man. Yeah, I don't I feel know. Like it just has a lot to do with your exposure and you know the stimuli that you're fed, like what people are feeding you. And if it's just football, 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 then of course you're gonna only want to do that. But if other people are like, hey, football, yes. But um, how about you go to the Human Sweat Center for Black Males Power Hour meeting? Like, you might get something out of it. So I guess it's kind of a challenge to those that might not be involved in sports or entertainment or other uh, things that are just, like, one-track-minded and, like, really pour into these different people. Right. Also, like, I, I agree with you. And also a support system, man, because, again, you have people reassuring you who – tell you about the like the, the student center for black males and they tell you about these things so i think also having uh having people around you man that can be transparent with you and telling you that yeah. hey man this ain't the only way this ain't the only yeah. way out man you need to pursue yeah, but it, education. It, i'll say it doesn't take some initiative to do that because when i yeah. first came to ut it's not like they recruited me keem and sweats and recruited me and told me like all these avenues i was just thirsty so mm. i feel like if you're thirsty and you're hungry then you'll you'll find where you're supposed to be Hundred percent, man. And then you, and then you transition uh, to your masters, and you you start becoming uh, very inquisitive toward how you can impact community and how you can uh, how you can influence uh, the youth, right? So, and then that's I want to talk about your when you went to City Hall, man, and got in front that uh, that podium, man, and kind mm-hmm. of your message behind that, because I know you're advocating for the House Bill Five uh, for the people listening and watching. Mm-hmm. House Bill Five is essentially it's a movement to implement uh, African-American studies to, if I'm not correct if I'm wrong, but uh, children ages five through uh, high school, right? K through 12, yeah. K through 12, K through 12, right. So, uh, yeah, if you wouldn't mind kind of going into that, because um, obviously you're you're fully, at this point, you're fully interested in uh, yeah. your next endeavor, which is uh, youth building. So if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, for me, this master's degree, I'm taking it very seriously. It's very social justice oriented and I'm learning so many things, but it serves me nothing and it serves my community and people I'm most passionate about. It serves them in no way for me to be there if I'm not disseminating the information that I'm learning, impacting these marginalized communities. So that's what I'm doing. What uh, David was talking about is when I went to the Texas State Board of Education, which is near the Capitol here in Austin, Texas on November 13th. And I provided a public testimony for the implementation of ethnic studies, specifically African-American studies, to be taught comprehensively in K-12 education. And the reason why I advocated and still do advocate for 
uh, pedagogy such as that is because we have textbooks saying that slavery is a choice or that Africans are complicit in slavery and we're relegated to a few pages of history, not truly knowing the contributions that our ancestors have made. And it serves no population in any way if you don't teach them who they truly are. Today, we're going through all the, uh, we're going through the effects of systematic oppression. When you don't provide proper information, you have people that operate through a racist, racist lens and deficit-oriented lenses, believing that black people are inferior. That's just what they're, they're taught. And we can't be surprised if people think black people are inferior if they haven't been told anything else. If they've been fed a, a racist diet all of their life of believing that black people are not capable of the same things as white people or Mexicans and et cetera, then that's just what's gonna manifest. So I wanna change that. And I believe in order to do that, you gotta get that at its core. You gotta get it when children are young, when they're most impressionable to learn the truth, not to you know, get fed all these false things. And after doing that, the video that I initially posted online caught a nice amount of attention. And that kind of became an affirmation to me that this is what I'm supposed to do because I was able to impact a ni nice number of individuals. I, I wanna impact people. I've been wanting to do that all my life, but I realized I don't have to wait 10 years to do that. And as a result of advocating and testifying and being in the room where these conversations are happening, the proposed bill has gotten accepted and it's gonna be a part of legislation in Texas. What, what goes down in Texas and states like California influences the educational policy that happens throughout the entire nation. So by this proposed bill happening in conservative old Texas, this is gonna be able to influence so many other states through education. Yeah, I, I wanna double back on one of the points you made about, uh, I, had a, I, had a, I had a PV professor on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, right? And uh, one thing he uh, mentioned was this idea that uh, as black people, right, if all, if all we're accustomed to doing is watching struggle, then that's all we're going to see for ourselves is struggle. And it's, it goes to what you're saying, man. If this is all we're, all we're being taught in our youth to slavery, man, people uh, not having the resource to do certain things, they're yeah. enslaved. And that's all we're going to aspire. We're not going to aspire to mm -hmm. much because that's what we've seen. Yeah, right. So mm -hmm. I want to double back on that point. Um, and I, yeah, I'm happy you broke down the house bill for me, man, because like I said, I was, I'm, I'm only understanding it because of you, mm -hmm. man. I appreciate that. Um, so... So as of now, it's only been proposed, well, not proposed, it's only been uh, accepted, I guess, I, I can't, I'm lack of a better word, in Texas, right? So, because mm -hmm. I saw it's been pursued in Texas, and you're saying that moving forward, this is kind of the first step to getting it worldwide legislation. Is that kind of, is that yeah. how that works? Yeah, national, national legislation. And okay. there's, uh, to my understanding, there's no states that's doing it like this. Mm. And it's, right. it's powerful because this this legislation is based upon a course that's actually ran at a charter school in dallas dallas yeah and yeah at this high school uh i'm sorry at this uh yeah at this charter school they're teaching about their history they're teaching about the contributions they're teaching about their own identity and affirming them through culturally relevant teaching that mm -hmm. they're getting outstanding results so it can make for a great beacon of hope what can happen if we actually pour into students, teaching them what they need to be taught. 
Will it be only an elective? Because I think I read in for Dallas, it's currently served as an elective, right? Yeah. It's not like a. Do you yeah. think that's enough? Do you think? Uh, oh, no, obviously, obviously, yeah, but say obviously, I don't know how that school is ran, but um, when I think of elective, man, I'm thinking of PE, uh, certain just the certain uh fulfillment, fun, different yeah. things, right? That's what that's what I think of elective. Obviously, I, I can't speak for everyone, but that's kind of where we're at now, and of course, it's a big step. Mm-hmm. But you you kind of being optimistic you would want to see this implemented in all curriculum oh yeah um, mandatory all the way, 100%. mandatory just like how you have to learn texas history yeah like, you have to learn african-american studies like mandatory word yeah and, and I, also I believe double, this is a yeah. step right in the right direction a step in the right direction 100 percent agree with you kind of doubling back to your uh education man and you coming up in uh los angeles uh you spoke on slavery being one of the, I call it the three pillars, right? Slavery, um, Rosa Parks, Malcolm X, and then MLK. Uh, mm. For you coming up, was that the, was the same thing for you? Was that the, the three things they were teaching you, reinforcing you as a student uh, in your upbringing? Was this yeah, the same I've thing? never heard of Nat Turner. I've never heard of Tassant Lovator. You know, no, it's crazy that Rod never not cut you off. Not even Rodney King. That that that's what no, intrigues. No, 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 no. no. Now that's crazy. That's Being a lot that 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 blew my that's mind. That's crazy. crazy. It was legit. Three pages of slavery. The three pillars you just mentioned, yeah. and they'll go back and forth between Malcolm X. They might do him, might not. But mm. yeah, for real, it's really no. Nice. That that that's I wild. I didn't get affirmed in my identity racially through schooling until mm. I got to the twelfth grade when I took an ethnic studies course. I took an ethnic studies course and it was an elective once again, but that's when I really kind of questioned the reality around me and was able to make sense of, you know, the racist housing policies or gentrification or the crack epidemic of the 1980s or the LA riots, you know, and the Rodney King verdict in 1992. Like that's when I was able to really make sense as to the systematic oppression that black and brown communities are often relegated to. I believe that the reason that doesn't happen is because if you can't name a problem, you don't give it the power to be opposed, right? So by them refusing to name the issues and the problems that are persistent, since we can't name it, we don't have the, the, the actual words to be able to speak against it. So it's just a, a tool that the powers at play use to silence us. For me, man, I, I think independent studies, man, that's when it really boils down to, man. I know a lot of people who are big proponents on uh, a lot of podcasts I follow. They're really, uh, really proponents on find, on independent studies, because, again, our education system lacks the where I thought to teach us about these things, man. And obviously we're getting better. We're getting closer to that solution. But, um, yeah, I think independent studies, that's how I've uh, sort of been able to educate myself on uh, the Rodney Kings, the Nat Turners and stuff of that nature. It was kind of through independent studies. So um, I guess for people listening, man, I feel like that's a beautiful way to uh, pursue your interest in all various walks of anything, right? So um, I guess th- in the Rodney King thing, I brought that up, man, because not only is that central t- to Los Angeles, but I, I'm watching uh, the OJ documentary right now, man. And that was, uh, it's a, big, uh, it was a big piece of that, man. So uh, I think that's a good segue into obviously police brutality, man, and what's been going on uh, as of late. Um, have you seen, cause you're obviously your platform, man, you're a former student athlete, man, and you, yeah. you're very uh, big on speaking your truths. 
And I feel like we're all, I feel like it's kind of starting to become in vogue to uh, speak your truth on a certain uh, uh, delicate matters, I should say. And I feel like, whereas you, you've uh, kind of been that uh, voice for a while, man. Yeah. (laughs) Have you, I guess how student athletes in general, maybe not even just UT, but all together, uh, are you optimistic about the the way we're being transparent on issues like this? Have you seen a uh, yeah, sort of? Yeah, I've seen all of that, man. Yeah, I, go from I feel like you have an interesting perspective. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're a Saints fan, so I could. Ah, I'll save, man. I'll save yeah. that for my next. <laughs> but okay, what I okay. really want to say is that I'm seeing a lot of people that are taking these issues on that have been occurring since 1619 as another TikTok challenge or mm. as another popular hashtag. What do they do? They post something about it, which takes no effort. Five minutes later, they forget about it and they don't do any, they don't do that after. That's so what, that, that um, sustainable thing that's gonna actually carry through. So for me, a lot of it is either public relations or you know, checking a box to you know, gain the black, black card or something like that. But at the end of the day, I don't see individuals to really care that are speaking out now. So I'm thinking that it's, it's a lot of Black Panthers overnight that I see around here on social media or a lot of social justice warriors who were, you know, eliciting statements suggesting their disdain with, you know, social injustice of the police and stuff like that. But when things are really preventable and when these conversations aren't sexy and they're not popular or convenient, they're not speaking out. So I don't, I don't necessarily approve of the people who, you know, post these social media videos that we've all seen that we're probably all tired of uh, from like white people saying, I stand with Ahmaud Aubrey, but they were sitting down for George. I'm sorry. I stand for Ahmaud Aubrey, but they were sitting down for Colin Kaepernick. And that goes against the, ex- they're, they're standing for the very thing that Colin Kaepernick was standing for as well. But there's these inconsist- inconsistencies. So the biggest thing I'm on, man, they got to keep that same energy. Like they cannot forget all the social media banging they was doing, all the protesting, all the hashtags that were happening. If they're not really willing to relinquish their lifestyles in some capacity to actually tip the scales of justice. If they're just gonna go back to their old ways eventually, then they might as well be like the white girls outside my apartment sunbathing right now that don't give a mm-hmm. crap. But that's how I really feel about it. And in terms of Drew Brees, uh, one, it, it's you know just public relations 101. In my opinion, he's just trying to maintain the brand. He got called out. And it scares me, actually, to think of how many other Drew Breeses are there out there because he just got caught. It just got recorded. I don't know if you're familiar with Jake Fromm. He yeah, yeah, played yeah. quarterback at Georgia, Georgia, and he ended up getting caught as well. And I'm, I'm thinking of conversations I've had with teammates uh, or locker rooms I've shared with under pe- other people yeah. who are now speaking out but I've heard them say some pretty questionable things as it mm. relates to race and racism, you know? So I know they're not going to keep the same energy. I'm not optimistic about it. We need to continue to call these individuals out to actually bring these changes we want. If you care about the black male student athlete so much, then why do you still force him into a major taking classes he does not want to take? Until you don't stop that, then I can give a dang about you marching to the Texas State Capitol to you know, have those pictures or whatever with the football team. If you don't really care, then don't even fake it. We see straight through it. 
Word, man. No, that's beautiful. I can't even uh, tell you how much I appreciate you saying what you just said. And uh, I guess for me, man, this is a kind of a loaded question, but I feel like you're a great person to ask, man. And you're definitely becoming someone I'm starting to I look up to, man. And uh, hey, it's mutual, bro. It's mutual. I, hey, man, I appreciate that, man. And, and you being so active, man, because uh, I, I consider myself doing my small part, right? I've been reading up on this stuff made donations here and there. I haven't uh, went to protests, man. I kind of, I do a lot of traveling, man. I, COVID's kind of getting crazy hey, out here in Texas. So I haven't been able to do the protest, man. But again, doing my small part as far as reading up on different things and trying to keep this in the forefront of my mind, right? Because like you said, man, for the typical person, and I'll put me in this category as well, it'll go right in and right out, man. And uh, I guess the question I have for you is, man, for the youth specifically, man, how do we continue to keep this on the front ends of our minds, man? And because I feel like uh, social media is a, I have a dissonance with social media because obviously like, you, you tweet about it and move on. That's the issue. But as yeah. well, you, social media can, for me, it informs me on things like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're a journalist. Yeah, exactly. So how do we continue to keep this on the forefront of our mind? I guess is the question I want to ask you, man. Do you think? Yeah, I feel like we have to individually have this deep work looking at ourselves and thinking, what do we want to see the black community look like? Like, what do we really want to transpire? And what do we really want to happen? And I believe that deep work is necessary because it can filter out the negativity and it can filter out the damaging characteristics we may individually have that's putting the black community in a worse condition. I'll give you an example. Right now, after um, Black Tuesday happened uh, last Tuesday, there's a lot of people that were refusing to buy from Chipotle and Chick-fil-A and you know from all these other brands. And that's beautiful. But it scares me because I know that when it comes to selfish ambition, they're gonna forget all of the very things we're trying to fight for. And they're going to go back to it. The same day that I saw someone post about banning Chick-fil-A, they posted a picture of them buying a brand, brand new Tesla. And I don't know if you know too much about the politics of, um, of uh, I'm blanking on his name. No, you're good, man. But I, I hear where, I hear where yeah. you're going, man. Uh, yeah. We we banned Chick Fil A, Taco Bell, man. All those different things that are donating to yeah. Trump's Trump and uh, his uh, platform and his reelection, man. And we're back to the the next day, man. And yeah, again, yeah. So man. That, that, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We just see that contradiction, so we got to really like check ourselves and see how we're being complicit in this. And the second thing I'm gonna say is voting. It's important, yeah. man, because when we have some nonsense go on like the killing of George Floyd and for months it's go, it goes unchecked. That's because the district attorney, the chief of police um, and so many other elected officials um, have racist tendencies and are racist, right? Yeah. But I feel like if we're becoming more, you know, civically literate, understanding mm -hmm. exactly who we're voting for or who we're not voting for, so who's gonna be in office as a result of us not being active? Like, we're gonna really, we're gonna see more how things play out. Another thing, um, the local school boards, all those members get voted in as well. The, the head of the school board here in Texas is a dentist, some old racist Republican dentist. He's supposed to get voted in, but a lot of us, unfortunately, don't necessarily familiarize ourselves or show up to the polls 
to vote this dude out. But we will show up if it's the presidential election. But the most important thing is these local, local. elections. Yeah. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more, man. Again, referencing this podcast I had a few weeks ago with this PV professor, he straight up, he, he told me, man, people don't even know the primaries are going on right now. Like, Texas, yeah. I'm not sure it has, I'm not too up on, uh, but this is the issue again. I, I don't know when the primaries are, man. And uh, it's a shame because I, this is the same thing I told him. But yeah, the primaries are going on right now. And uh, half the people don't know about it. We're not talking about it because, again, uh, it's at the forefront of our minds for a day or two. And then it, again, it's just out. So again, man, I'm just big on doing our our, our parts, man. As small as yeah. it may be, doing yeah. I want to emphasize parts. what you're saying, doing your part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I really champion the fact that you know your lane. You know what I'm saying? You talk about me with education on mine, but you know yours. You're telling these stories of other individuals to captivate people, and right. to get them in better, like just to get us holistically in a better circumstance. So that's really mm-hmm. powerful, and I feel like that's essential. We all have to do our part. Me, I'm education. You, you're journal- journalism. So-and-so, they may be a med- medical. Another person may be a lawyer. But like, we all have to hone in on whatever our selective aspect of ourselves to best empower our community is. I don't know a dang thing about economics. I don't know nothing about journalism, right? So it's not, it's not my path. But what I can do is my lane. And I can try to drive that well. So I feel like if we all just get in our own lanes as well, that's going to allow us to hold each other accountable too and like really bring on these changes we want to have. Sure, man. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, bro, the 52 videos for 52 weeks, man. Tell me about that. <laughs> uh, what inspired it, man? What's uh, kind of yeah. – what, what goes into that every week, man? Tell me about that, man, because I, I think it's mad dope, bro. I've been following them, bro. I, yeah, I, I like it, man. Tell me about it. Good question. Um, it all started with that video I talked about earlier for my testimony. It captured a lot of attention. And for me, I'm not the type of person to post something, you know, hoping I get a lot of attention. So I didn't really think much of it. I was like, all right, cool. You know, God showed, God, God is revealing my message. God is revealing my message to a broader audience. But then, you know, I just went to bed and just forgot about it. Then my brother called me up and he really gets all the credit for this idea. He said, that's cool, but like, you got to find a way to maintain this momentum where you're not just one of those other hashtags or one of those other uh, videos that goes viral and then people forget about you. Like, why can't you make this impact like this on a more regular basis? So me and him, you know, create, got it, you know, we got it in a lab and he said that you should make a video every single week for the next year and just see what happens. And I kind of played around with the idea for a second. Then I thought of the wealth of knowledge that I have. And I was like, wow, I, I, could, I could speak a little bit on certain things. And in terms of the whole processing for it, I got that idea around November 13th after I testified. And then I sat on this idea for a few months, just planning, just preparing, pre-recording a few videos just to make sure I can get in this rhythm, rhythm yeah, and do it. Yeah. And then once January 1st hit, uh, for the first weekend, I posted my video and it was more of an introduction, just letting people know that I'm going to make a video every single year. And the premise of it is just to, you know, see what legislation I could get passed in other states, see if it empowers anyone, if it captivates anyone, see if it teaches other people and just, you know, lets them know. And from the residual effects of posting these videos, I've had countless people, uh, you being another one of them, has been a great resource of mine reaching out to me and you know asking how they can help 
shape this movement. And by you providing this platform, you're a living proof. You're a living example of what has happened from these. It's also allowed me to get more defined and more refined of kind of like, this is my lane, but I got to do it good. So it requires a lot of reading. It requires a lot of preparation. And I started off the videos from pre-recording it to then memorizing every single thing that saying to now just speaking it from the heart. And that's the hardest part because you have to really know your information to be able to speak from the heart unscripted. Um, but that's the latest things that I've been on and it's been very rewarding. Sometimes I'll highlight a book that I read from a black scholar. Sometimes I'll speak upon legislation that recently got passed. Like in Detroit, Michigan, for example, they had some literacy legislation that was a landmark case because they realized that they, it's racist of them not to provide adequate reading and literacy programs for inner city youth. So I'll talk about things like that. I'll speak upon um, situations like zero tolerance policy, which delicately um, tracks and delicately uh, stalks young black males, forcing them into the school to prison pipeline, getting uh, less of them into college and more into prison, right? So I'm just speaking upon all these other issues and trying to you know, relate it to what's currently going on. I find it very important because this isn't the first time uh, unarmed black men or unarmed black women have been murdered. We're also murdered in the schools every single day. So it's just given me a platform to be able to speak upon these issues that a lot of individuals may or may not even know about. So I'm just trying to do my part. Hey man, you're doing a damn good job, bro. Like I said, man, I've been following them, man. And uh, it's, it's been a, a privilege to have you on, bro. It really has, man. Uh, again, someone I look up to and it's been dope following the videos, man. And just following your messages, man. Cause you, you don't just tweet for, you don't tweet nonsense, bro. When you tweet, bro, I know it's something <laughs> I need, I need to read at that specific moment, bro. So that's why I follow you, bro. Appreciate it, brother. And, uh, Appreciate I, it, man. I can't uh, thank you enough for being on today, man. Uh, again, like I said, out of from, coming from this man, I I hope if anything, bro, we we build a friendship off this man, and uh, obviously, I wanted you as a guest for a reason, man, and uh, you definitely provided that, man. So uh, we're gonna wrap it up, man. Thank you so much, Chase, for uh, taking the time out of your day to be on the pod, man. Thank you. Like I, this really means a lot to me. I don't take this lightly at all, brother. And for anyone that is listening to this, continue to support David West. He's an incredible young man a very, very bright future. And this is just his way of paving his lane to help the, uplift the black community. So if you listen to this, please share it, please like it, and continue to spread the word because David West is coming.